if you look at spirit, let's let's talk about spirituality for a second. If you look at spirit, especially as African, there's no individual. There's a common thread amongst us all. And so people who claim to be spirit and only have their own experience, I believe, are still subjected to the very fundamental white supremacy. Hey, y'all, you are listening to another episode of The Spiritual Homegirl, where we discuss all things concerning self-development and bettering our spirit, but from the homie perspective, somebody that's going through the journey day by day, just like you. Hey, y'all, you listening to another episode of The Spiritual Homegirl podcast. My name is Maria, The Spiritual Homegirl, and I want to thank y'all for tuning in. Now, y'all know I can't do any episode without thanking you all for listening. Out of the tens and thousands of podcasts that are in podcast land, you choose to lend me your ears once a week for about an hour or so, and I hella appreciate that. This episode is brought to you by Spiritual Homegirl. <laughs> yes, me. So with that being said, Spiritual Homegirl is a platform about bettering self and spirit from a homegirl just like you perspective in order to empower community, and I do this in a variety of ways. I have puzzle books for those that want to decompress um, without technology. As, a, as well as uplift the spirit and um, tease the brain. You know, sometimes we need to keep our brain active. The phone can make us a little lazy sometimes. Um, and also, I do this through aromatherapy products because your girls are certified. Um, I have a certification in aromatherapy. Also, I do this through meditation, guys. I'm a certified meditation teacher. Um, and spiritually expressive clothing to help you become your own guru. I also have some certifications um, and trainings in uh, counseling. And I'm currently working on about three more as we speak. So your girl has been busy, okay? We out here getting competencies and um, building on some of the experience I've done with helping folks that wasn't so uh, formal. So I'm really excited to know that the stuff that I have been doing previously before deciding to take up formal um, education and things like that um, and training and things uh, of that nature, I was already on the right path. I can't even front. This has been very reaffirming for me and I'm really honored to um, be able to learn and and help serve through that way. Also, your girl's a Patreon. Tap in if you want exclusive content, uh, behind-the-scenes content, as well as coaching and things of that nature. You can sign up for that at patreon.com forward slash spiritual homegirl. I think I have covered my sponsorship. That's covered? That covered my sponsor? Okay, there we go. So uh, shout-out to the sponsors, uh, me. So with that being said, y'all, um, I'm really excited to present y'all to, uh, to episode 101, which is part two of the Religion of White Supremacy series with my homeboy, Reverend James Woodall. I call him Major or Reverend Major. So you may hear me interchange my nicknames for him and his actual real name um, in this episode. He is actually, um, again, he's a reverend. He's also a theology student um, at the Morehouse School of Theology. He also is... Uh, the state chapter president of the Georgia NAACP. They're currently working right now in Statesboro, uh, Bullock County, which is one of the most racist counties in the state of Georgia. I know this because I went to school there and I have seen firsthand how racist that county is. He's currently um, assisting um, a a black man with a stand your ground case. So uh, Reverend Major stays on the ground all over the state and beyond helping um, helping black folks that, that need assistance, um, rightfully so. So, with that being said, this episode was very interesting. Um, if you did not hear episode 100, which was part one of the Religion of White Supremacy series with my homeboy, Reverend Major, definitely tap in with that. That's more of an overview of the conversation, but we go real deep this episode. Um, and another thing is, this wasn't necessarily a formal interview either. Like, Major's my homeboy, so it's not like, you know what I'm saying? And, and also, Reverend is a brilliant mind. Now, I love, and I try my best to be objective, but in this episode, I I loved, I loved damn near all the answers he had i defended myself in a couple because you know he low-key challenged me a little bit you know some respectful friendly stuff but 
I, I really enjoy his answers because what's so refreshing about Reverend Major is that I know that in black uh, Christianity, especially uh, reverence pastors, preachers, the whole nine, they get a real bad rap. And we discuss why in this episode, we discuss some of the inefficiencies and inadequacies of the black church. And he also kind of called out spirituality to a degree too. But um, what I like about Reverend Major is that he's not stereotypical black reverend. He's not. Um, and, and I know sometimes people say, oh, they think they're perfect. He's definitely not one of those kinds. And I'm really excited to see this perspective um, be so different, so out the box, so non-stereotypical, um, and, and also one that challenges. So we, we talked about uh, that a lot this episode, as well as uh, activism. And whether groups like the NAACP are still relevant. And I know that with the culture that, that's shifting in, in black culture, especially black activism, I know some people think that some of these older organizations are obsolete or are not as effective. And we, we also talk about that as well on this episode uh, because the religion of white supremacy is not just about Christianity. It's about the dehumanization of black folks and other people of color. But again, right now, the center is on black folks because apparently that's always kind of been what's been going on consistently for a longer period of time which really sucks but we're going to discuss that this episode so again shout out to our sponsor spiritual homegirl if you want to tap in and shop spiritualhomegirl.shop <laughs> and um, if you have not heard that episode please uh definitely tap in if you like these episodes comment like share subscribe share with a friend leave a review if you're listening to it on an app i really appreciate it support is my love language you heard me and that's a free way to support. If you'd like to support with your dollar, support black-owned woman business, support woman business, support black-owned business, and uh, independent business, support small business. Spiritualhomegirl.shop. I got literally everything that you can name. Meditation guides, aromatherapy products, puzzle books, and clothing. And I'm working on food, but we're going to talk about that in another episode because uh, I was advised to uh, wait until things are finalized. But yeah, so we're working on <laughs> we're working on a lot. Okay, working on a lot between these training certifications, between uh, these, this this thing I'm designing right now, between the arm with the ancestral energy capsule series that's coming out. Uh, at the time of the recording, it was almost due to go live. So if you're listening to this recording, uh, definitely tap in with spiritualhomegirl.shop and get your pre-order on to get yours. But with that being said, y'all, without further ado, here's Reverend James Woodall, my homeboy Major Wish, with part two of the Religion of White Supremacy series. Enjoy. All right, you're Maria, the spiritual homegirl. I am back interviewing my homeboy, Major, but you may know him as Reverend James Woodall. How you doing? I'm feeling good today. It's good to be back for a second, a second interview. So let's let's make this thing pop. I mean, we interviewed like less than a week and a half ago. So is that's a good thing? When the follow up comes that quick, that means it's a good topic. So, I mean, where where you where you want to go? Where you want to go? Because you know, I want to go. Everywhere imaginable in the time frame I got. So let me well, know. Well, let's, let, let's start. Uh, let's just have at it because I think um, this conversation, um, I felt like we had to kind of rush through it last time. So I said, let's, let's do it again. But this time we can go even deeper. Well, that's what I like to do. So with that being said, I know that um, Christianity, like we talked about um, in the previous episode, it was more so we talked about the religion of white supremacy and how Christianity has not necessarily been true to what its roots were. And then we explored what does praise and worship look like and, and a lot of other things that I want to also um, expound upon this conversation. But you notice that a lot of our generation is more of, oh, well, black people, if, you know, if he was a black, it was a black man, you know what I'm saying? Jesus was a black man anyway. Jesus was a black man anyway. 
So my first part of that question is, do you think that black people would be open to Christianity if we had known from the beginning through imagery and through confirmation that Jesus was a black man? Well, one, I challenge the foundation of the question because it suggests that the very knowledge of blackness would constitute a kind of being that is not only liberative, meaning we're able to be free in that knowledge of blackness, but also that Jesus was a uh, subsect of a culture that was absent white supremacy. And so what I mean in, in, in a very real sense, in a very simple way, is that what are we actually saying when we suggest that Jesus was a black man? Are we just simply saying that his phenotypical uh, characteristic was, was, was a darker hue, which I think many of us would agree to, but are we saying something much more deeper that Jesus's position within the civil, the civil society that we find ourselves in today was very much so similar to that which we experienced. And so that Jesus was oppressed in the, in the words of James Cone. But I would even challenge that thought process because the very essence of, I guess, blackness, if you will, I think we, we might need to do some investigating of what that actually is. Because if we do not, what we run the risk of is renegotiating the very fund fundamentals of white supremacy that we find ourselves trying to get free from. And so when Jesus is black is a phrase that we find empowerment in, that's a great thing. But it also could be a dangerous thing simultaneously. And so um, I think we can start there by, by really asking ourselves what blackness actually is. And I would lift up uh, Victor Anderson, who is a ethicist, and he talks about ontological blackness, ontology being the very art of being. How were they, those things created? Why were they created? And so we got to ask ourselves, why was blackness created? Blackness was not a phenotype. Blackness was a classification of oppression. And so in, in, a, in, a, in a way, we, we, we try to find empowerment through that. But it even goes to what my professor calls the niggerization of Jesus, um, which I know we want to talk about a little bit. But what does it mean to be black in a world that is convinced that um, blackness is, is literal nothing? It's, 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 a, it's a qualification for dehumanization. And no matter how many times you try to rephrase it, repurpose it, redefine it, it's still at the heart, at a core, at its foundation, nothing. Oh, yeah. We starting now. We starting now. Good. Yes. Yes. I wanted to ask this last time. Now, I personally don't think it matters to me either way. Um, but I do hear a lot of people say, oh, well, Jesus was a black man, but Jesus was a black man anyway. I think some of that has been the, the anger due to the misrepresentation and also the belief of, like, a white savior. So I think that people have sometimes been raised with the white Jesus and this is our savior and been taught this is our favorite, this is our savior. And then when they realize he's a black man, it's a sense of, well, in some of the conversations I've had with some of my friends that, that don't necessarily uh, practice anymore, they felt like it was like a sigh of relief, like, wow, he was one of us. So I think that is where some of the, um, the process, the mindsets, I should say, of those types of statements, I think that's kind of where it comes from. But like you said, but it's dangerous. But, but 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 it, but it's dangerous because when you look at what Jesus represents, and I just had a conversation today, and we talked about the role of 
Jesus being a canopy of of knowledge, meaning even in Islam, we were able to articulate Islam as as our ancestors were able to gather it, even through the the Muslim Brotherhood, through you know other institutions of Muslim faith, that it was through the canopy of Jesus. Because before you had Muhammad, you didn't have this prophet model being pervasive, uh, pervasive all over through cultures. They used Jesus to define the Western culture. It wasn't Muhammad. It wasn't Buddha. It was Jesus who created the Western, the, the very notion, the very name, the very ideology, the very construction of Jesus was not a theological claim of faith, but it was an epistemological claim of being that said, this is how we develop a culture that we put the power in one person, one individual. And we've seen that consistent even through our time today, that we believe that we need one leader to free us. Yeah. Right? And so now what we have is a situation where people who are not free claim to be free through the very uh, uh, violence against this one black man in their terms. And so we have to understand and ask ourselves, well, what is the value of the black body? How do we value the black body? Because if we're suggesting that our salvation comes through the, the sacrifice of a black body, what does that mean for us as black people? Are we too to be sacrificed? And we even 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 the Christian tradition, we, we observe this every single every single month. It's called communion. Yeah. We drink the blood and eat the body. And I'm a I'm a I'm a professing and practicing Christian. And I'm raising these very fundamental and ethical questions because if we do not do that, we will be reinstituting white supremacy. That we are suggesting that our faith at the central element of our faith is that the sacrifice of the black body, because if Jesus wasn't white but black, that means we must sacrifice ourselves to be free. What the hell kind of God is that? So do you want you do you want Jesus to be black? And if so, what does that mean for you? I am so excited to publish this episode because I know this is this is a provocative, this entire conversation is provocative. You know, a lot of people don't really kick it like this. And it really excites me to see with you being in the position that you're in, not only as a community leader, but also as a student and also as a um, reverend, people don't expect reverence to kick stuff like this. They don't. They expect people to kind of, because even like I said, I don't know if you knew, but I had got a little bit of mini backlash uh, from some people that hadn't heard the episode, but they were like, why would you have a Christian on your show? You're supposed to be spiritual. And I was like, but the beauty of my definition or interpretation of spiritual is assessing different opinions and perspectives and learning and choosing what works and what doesn't. I don't mind kicking kicking it with a Christian. I got homegirls that stay in church every Sunday, Bible study, very involved in their church. But that doesn't mean we can't be friends. And I've, I've had Muslims on the show. I've had people that practice African spirituality on the show. So I've had Buddhists on the show. Like I've had different people from different perspectives on my show. So I think those kind of people that get so upset when they hear the word Christian or think that I have on my show, it's because they don't realize that like there's apparently there's different ways to be and their way of what they think is Christianity that they've rejected isn't the end all be all for other people that's out here practicing a profession like you're saying. So I think it's very interesting. Yeah. And you know, I just tell people all the time, I have nothing to prove. I'm not out here trying to convert to get you to join my church. And if you want to join my church, go to the Pleasant Grove Baptist Church in Marietta, Georgia. <laughs> but 
we're, we're, we're not here to make uh, converts. Because again, that's a function of white supremacy to convince us that I must change your mind to save you. That's literally what the colonizer and the oppressor did. I need to change your mind. How do you think about the world around you? How do you think about yourself? How do you engage your body function and your autonomy? Or how do I take it away? How do you think about the economy of self? Meaning, how do I capitalize off of your being? How do you educate yourself? The epistemology, the pedagogy. All of those are functions of white supremacy. But if we are limiting ourselves because of the labels that are asserted in these spaces, I think we do ourselves more damage than good because none of us have a monopoly on divinity. Not even me as a Christian. And so what does it even mean for me to be Christian? What does that actually mean? For me, it means that I'm an insurrectionist. That I stand in opposition to the empire. Not that I want you to come to my church. I want you to stand with me so we can take down and destroy systems of oppression. So if somebody is, de whoever defines the thing has the power. And so for them, they have power because they believe that Christianity is nothing more than my professing of, of a belief in a man who's a black person to their, to, to their, uh, to their um, acknowledgement, not my own, right? Because I don't want to use the metaphysical language of Jesus being black to have a foundation of my faith. My foundation is developed through a hope that somehow we can experience liberation here on this earth. That's the fundamental of my faith. Not some man who walked on this earth 2,000 years ago who died on a cross so I could be sin free. That's not the foundation of my faith. Though in some regard, I do believe that Jesus got up. I don't think Jesus getting up literally means a physical black body got up and raised from the dead. I believe that the very spirit that got that man up in that moment it's the very spirit that we have as Christian to be able to free more, more people. Because the scripture declares in the, uh, in the prophet Micah, it says, what does the good Lord require of thee? Not Jesus. What does the good Lord require of thee but to do justice? That's the foundation. You're so brilliant. I've always respected your mind, damn it. Remember when we went out for pizza and we talked about all of this stuff. And I remember telling you, yo, like, you are not like what I thought you were. You know what I'm saying? And it's just, I'm excited to bring this kind of perspective to the platform because people need to see this. They need to know that you and others like you exist. So before writing off a complete group of people, try actually getting different perspectives before you do so. Again, people don't do what they're going to do. But I'm grateful to know that there's people that have these kind of mindsets that aren't such, um, they're not so linear. You think very abstractly. I can, like, I, I love that. I appreciate that. But I forgot to ask you, and I'm going to reword the questioning of this because these, these questions, in terms of Jesus was a black man, was inspired by certain things I had seen and the people, some people I've had conversations with in terms of the importance of that. So, kind of flipping it, if, because you know, United States, as much as we like to talk about like official when it comes to America, last I checked, and I don't mind being wrong on this, last I checked, the United States did not have an official religion, right? But yet Christianity is the majority religion. So a lot of what America does is based on Christian principles, it seems. Or at least they act like it is in the name of God. So 
Do you think, you know what? I'm not even going to say that because you addressed the, the value of the black body. I'm going to switch. How do you reconcile as a reverend and just, just James, how do you reconcile the, the, the thoughts that Christianity was used as a weapon to enslave and to indoctrinate black people into a system of white supremacy? I think that's where I want to go with it. The same way we reconcile the fact that capitalism did the exact same thing. I mean, we're we're forced to kind of live in it because not a lot of people have the courage to really acknowledge the deficit of white supremacy. Oftentimes, we talk about the 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 the, the, the glamorous parts of it, Jesus being a black man. And, and before I, I go with, in that direction, think about this. What would it actually look like if Jesus was a white man? Like, how would that actually have implications in not only our theological practices, but how we view the black body? That in order for there to be liberation and salvation, we must sacrifice, not the black person, the white one. And white supremacy. That's a question we need to wrestle with. But when we talk about the reconciliation of consciousness, in many ways, these are these are things that are unresolved even in my own faith. Being able to show up unapologetically and say, I'm vulnerable. I, I don't know how to reconcile. These are institutions that long extend beyond my own being. But in order for me to be able to move in a liberative fashion and, 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 and protect my people and, to, and not tell them any lies, I must do the hard lifting and the heavy lifting and the hard wrestling every single day. Ask myself, how in the world did we develop a, a, a theological understanding as a people that it was necessary for us to go through these things? It was necessary in salvific for us to be oppressed. Some of the songs we sing, the Negro spirituals, just look at the lines. It says, I'm climbing Jacob's ladder. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. Soldiers of the cross. Just that line alone. It says, this is what charge we have to keep. That in order to bear the cross, and this is at the heart of fundamental Christianity. At the heart of Christianity is the belief that you must suffer. You must uh, observe some kind of, of sacrificial experience or, the, or oppression so that you can gain access to what? some eschatological reality that none of us have actually ever experienced, but we've read about and heard about, sang about, prayed about, dreamed about. And I'm not denying its existence. Because I wholly, wholly believe that one day we'll look down the corridors of glory and shout because our ancestors, I mean, us as ancestors see our posterity and they holler out in our memory because in this moment we didn't give up. That we believe that we could fight the good fight of faith and create a world that was uh, uh, allowing for all people to be able to live and live peacefully. But I do believe that um, we have to be honest about what it is that we believe in. Unfortunately, I don't think many of us actually know, even some of us who claim to be spiritual. 
I don't think we actually know what it is that we believe. We just believe. We just know what we don't like. We don't. We know what just doesn't vibe or jive with us. We have not done the wrestling. Faith is about not about the answers. It's about the questions you ask. What kind of questions are you asking, and what questions lead to more questions? Because the person who thinks they have all the answers is a is a, is a fool. Facts. They're fools. You know, I'm glad you brought that point up in terms of um, the question because I I can see that. That's actually why, me personally, I don't tell people what I practice because the way I look at it, the journey of finding what works for you is a, is a evolving one. There's things you may believe five years ago. As you get older, you start experiencing things, you start learning things, you start figuring things out. They may not resonate with you five years from now. So for me, I look at the spiritual journey as always a constantly evolving one. Like, I always bring up Doreen Virtue. She's a white spiritualist, but her example is kind of relevant in this, in this conversation because she, was, she made a, an entire fortune off of spiritual products and just being a spiritual um, business. And then one day she ended up finding Jesus again because she initially was Christian, and she went back to Christianity. And no folks dragged her so badly. But I looked at it like, what's the problem? Like, she had to do what was best for her on the journey spirituality or, or the metaphysical new age whatever it was it didn't work for her no more so she went back to christianity that's to me i feel like there's nothing wrong with that she didn't mislead nobody if that was who she was and she made her business and people bought into that if that if they're on their own journey it really shouldn't matter but going back to the to what i'm saying though i think that the journey of being spiritual quote unquote is it's something that it's it's, it's a lifetime thing your, your thoughts and your processes and what you believe and what you find, it's going to always grow you into something different. It's like a molding process, a lifetime molding process to me. But I'm glad you said that because a lot of folks say what they don't like. You're right. Something, I do have conversations with folks and they'll ask me what I practice and I tell them it's personal. And um, they'll say, oh, well, I just know I can't go to the church anymore. And I'm just like, okay. That's, that's what you want to do, but you still have to figure out what works for you. You still have to figure it out. So I don't know. I'm really glad you brought that up. I really am. That's a, that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that well, up. Well, one of, one of the other failures of this dehumanization, um, I like to use dehumanization because white supremacy is not the source. It's dehumanization. But to convince us that we have an individual journey, I don't believe we do. Oh. I don't, I don't believe we have the luxury of being able to individualize our experience as beings. If you look at spirit, let's, let's talk about spirituality for a second. If you look at spirit, especially as an African, there's no individual. There's a common thread amongst us all. And so people who claim to be spirit and only have their own experience, I believe, are still subjected to the very fundamental white supremacy. So this is when I was like, oh. Oh, okay, we finna go there on this episode, okay? Oh, we gonna challenge spirituality. Now, granted, you know what I'm saying? I respect the challenge, you know? Granted that the person's challenging me out of love and respect and not out of no weird ego trips. So I was like, I know, Major, he cool. No problem. I'm gonna answer this. Because, you know, some people say, you don't owe nobody nothing. This is my homeboy. We ain't even on that. We ain't on that. Now, them online trolls and them strangers that be trying to qualify you, that, don't, that be qualifying you on a system that don't matter, oh, I don't owe them nothing. But me and the homie, oh, we can have a conversation. So uh, let me go ahead and go grab me some tea, refill my cup, because I'm listening right along with y'all, and we'll be right back with what I had to say. 
Well, you about to shake the table. I mean, let's let's be honest. Let's look at the ancestors. Let's look at at African traditions because there are so many. I cannot think of one of them that had an individual kind of expression of faith, where I just needed to know Jesus for myself. Where do we get that from? We got it from when the when the ancestors were literally being taken out. Because remember, some of them chose to fight through the sea. And that they still were connected with each other, regardless if they chose the sea or by boat to go over to the to the quote unquote new world. But they still were all connected. And they were connected because there was a common thread, and that that thread was creation. That thread was Mother Earth. That thread was continuity. That thread was Sankofa. That thread was Ubuntu. Right? So we can, we can talk about all the various uh, uh, elements, but to believe that that's really a privileged kind of experience. To think that I, I have the privilege and luxury of just being able to know God and my creator for myself. Who the hell do you think you are? Just think about that for a second. Like God created all of this. And we, th we thought we were so, I believe we we're divine, but we thought we were so special that we could have our own relationship. And when you said, I'm finding Jesus, Jesus ain't went nowhere, it was you. Yeshua was a fundamental question, not an answer. It was a fundamental question of where do you stand in the face of oppression? It had nothing to do with knowing somebody. If you know oppression, you know Jesus. Now the question is, would you follow? Would you follow Jesus? Well, seeing how you just challenged, I'm going to take that as a challenge to myself as well as the entire spiritual community. Well, based on what I practice, yeah, I'm going to say that. But, but in terms of what I always say, and I've always said this in terms of dealing with people, regardless of whether, because with spiritual homegirls, it's about bettering self and spirit to empower community from a homegirl just like you perspective. Somebody that's going through the journey day by day just like you. And one thing I commonly tell people is we are all connected but we not may not be compatible, and that's okay. But same time, empowering community, and we're all connected is was always my way of acknowledging the fact that though we have, we are I am I, I am me, I should say, and you are you. Technically, quote unquote, individual, we still are connected. And without really going into what I practice, I've always said I wouldn't necessarily go outright with everything. I will say that I've always believe that we were connected by the God that connects us all, the inner God, the, the peace of God that is here on earth. That's how we were all connected. That's how I kind of look at it. But then again, I find God in everything. I find God in trees. I find God in the birds. I find God in, in, in clouds and, and stuff like that. So my my version of God is kind of a little uh a little different. But that's how I no, always not. felt. Huh? No, it's not. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. I know. I know. And also... You know, with the whole connection piece, again, I've always said things with Spiritual Homegirl so that it wouldn't go too, um, too, too deep. But we're here, so fuck it. Um, so when it comes to we're all connected, let me just go ahead and put it on record. Ancestral connection is also a factor of what I mean when I say we're all connected. Okay? So even though... My pop-pop is one of my favorite ancestors. Even though he's not here no more, I'm still connected to him. I'm of him. You know what I'm saying? 
So that's another thing, as, again, as, a, um, as an African-American, quote-unquote, black, because now, you know, obviously, we now have to question what, what is black, right? But as that kind of woman, I've had to, you know, I, that's something I've always believed deep down. Now, the reason why I never say it out loud is because with spiritual homegrown, I can't speak for everybody in the spiritual community because some people do stick to their belief systems and they say that their belief system is right and that they want you to practice what they practice. And some of them do have a flock mentality to where they want people to follow them. That's not really my style. My thing is more like, hey, I'm here doing what I'm doing. I'm learning. I'm growing. I just want you to do the same. That's it. Do it however you got to do it. If you're doing it in a in a church, if you're doing it in a monastery, if you're doing it at a mosque, if you're doing it at the beach, if you're doing it in nature, just as long as you can figure out what works for you, then we good. But I know for me, mine has always been about connecting the, ex the external, the outer God with the inner God when it comes to people, individuals, quote unquote, as well as also acknowledging my ancestors that put me in this position. But I do definitely agree with you about the privilege piece of the individualism or individuality, because that is indeed Western. I, I definitely wholeheartedly agree with you. I think, especially speaking, we are a communal, like tribal people. It's, we're a village, we're village people. So, so, so what happens, here goes a question. Why is it troublesome when Christians uplift the very legacy of, of an ancestor that in many respects are central to their being because it's not jesus if we follow the biblical record which some of us don't which is okay but if some of us do at least acknowledge it as legitimate then why do we suggest that there's some corruption what is it about jesus regardless of if they're right or wrong we can argue the historic uh historicity of, of, of the actual jesus figure I'm not, I'm not doing that. What is it about the figure, though, that causes us much concern? Because there's not any other ancestor throughout history, in black history, that causes much tor tor turmoil than Jesus. What is it about that moment? And why is it so dangerous for us? Why is it so threatening? Because there's no other ancestor. If we at least acknowledge that there is some relevance to what is taking place, regardless of what relevance that is, whether it's good or bad, the fact is that somebody is impacted by it. So what is it about Yeshua that causes us much concern? Me, personally, I don't really have an issue with that. I mean, I don't know if you know, if I was baptized Southern Baptist, like in the church built the Reconstruction, it's still a baptism pool in the floor like behind the wooden board, so under a wooden board, I should say. So me personally, I don't really see the problem. I think um, my issue, and I was very uh, much younger when I decided to walk away from the church, was really, and it's almost like, I look at it like similar to people quitting jobs, right? Sometimes folks don't quit the company, even though they're an employee of the company. I think they quit the manager they work under or that particular location. I think with a lot of Christians, sometimes the ideology could make sense, the company could make sense, the values of the company could make sense, but it's the manager they got a problem with, or it's the workplace that don't seem so welcoming. 
And I think those two things is what kind of pushes people away to where they don't even necessarily look into the ideology. I'm not saying, I'm not speaking for all of them. I'm just saying that's been a few people's experiences that I've spoken to personally. And it's been, a, it's been very, like I said, individual where it's been out of some corruption or something like that. So it may have been people that misrepresented the faith that turned people off of the faith versus the kind let's look, right. But let's look at the representation. So there are some people who, yeah, that's church hurt and those kind of things. And I hear that. But those persons who are frustrated with you for having a Christian on this call, for somebody who don't know anything about me, to know that your faith is professed in a way that somehow uh, uh, doesn't align with the Christian doctrines and Christian philosophies and ideologies. What is it about that answer? Because in many respects, spirituality in various forms, oftentimes embrace the spirit of ancestor and ancestry. So what is it about this particular ancestor? Because you don't see that same pushback with, with Islam. You don't see that same, same pushback with Buddha and, and, and Hinduism. You don't even see it with Judaism. What is it about the Christian Jesus? And I'm going somewhere with this, by the way. What is it about Yeshua that causes us much Turmoil. I think I that's the question we need to wrestle with. I was we gotta wrestle with y'all a second to marinate on it. All right, give it a couple more seconds because that's a question that's not a quick. It's not a quick fix. <laughs> it's not. That's gonna take some real like soul searching because you're not talking about the church at this point. You're talking about the actual concept. At the fundamental root of the belief. There are people who find it troubling. There are people who find it anti-human. There are people who find it contradictory and hypocritical. And so what about it? How can you lift up the ancestry of James Baldwin, James Cone, right? I, I mean, I don't want to go through the list. I'll start just calling names, right? But what about this? What, what about this one? And some might argue, well, it wasn't historical. I said, okay. There was an ideological creation or construction that has implications in a social being. Or we could talk about, well, it was historical, okay? It was historical. What did he actually do that caused you much trouble? Or was it him at all? It, it, was, it was your inability to actually understand what he did if he were to actually be true. And I'm being very neutral in this because I don't want there to be a bias in the answer or response to the questions I'm asking. I want people to think, not emotionally respond. I want them to actually think what religion is, what the institution of Jesus actually is. Because I don't think we actually know as a people, even as Christians. Some of us is not. It's deeper than a book. It's deeper than going to church. It's deeper than worship and praise. It's deeper than all that. And I've kind of said it this entire time. What does Yeshua mean? It literally means insurrection. Treason. Are we so invested in the systems of oppression that we're literally willing to forego all responsibility to destroy these systems ourselves? Or are we just waiting for some magical person in the sky to come re rescue us from this, this thing called life? Even as spiritualists. If we really want to be honest about the record, or we just want to feel good, 
Are we so emotive that we neglect our responsibility as creations of the divine? I obviously I'm excited because I like these conversations. Oh, this is so great. Okay. But I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. It's going to take some time for people to really search. But for now, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking from, if I'm a listener perspective, if a person's listening to this podcast, they may have not necessarily had a Reverend James to actually put them on game. Where would they be able to find this type of information if they weren't necessarily taught that? They were taught something based on the interpretation of scripture or whoever by, uh, by their preacher, pastor, or Reverend, uh, what have you. Like, how would they find that knowledge out? That's a great question. I mean, um, one, I would suggest actually going to the source of the text. Most of the people that read the Bible, they're reading King James. Or they're reading the message, or they're reading New International because they can't understand the language. And I get it. Everybody's not able to read Hebrew and Greek. But being able to research and really understand differences of, of thought process, woman is scholarship. There are black women who are literally rewriting the Bible from a black woman's lens who are saying that, no, I don't want to wait on my Boaz because Boaz literally took me for granted and Naomi pimped me out. Or you talk about um, Ruth or you talk about Tamar where King David isn't just somebody who was a man after God's own heart, but rather was a rapist who's complicit in victimization of another black woman or Bathsheba who was literally raped by her, by her king and her mother and her husband literally lost his life because of it. And then she would have to go bear child by her rapist. Talk about the black body, the black woman's body. And so to literally understand what it is that we're saying, we have to look at the language. The language actually means a lot. People talk about semantics. Like I, I told somebody did today, I said that white privilege doesn't exist. It doesn't exist because if you, matter of fact, I'll read it to you. And I got pushback from it because people, they're thinking I'm just playing semantics. Like I just, it's the words that I'm using. I'm using it very, very specifically. I say that to claim a privilege that is not rooted and anything other than racial superiority is not liberation. To acknowledge that you got white that you got white privilege, that's not liberation. That's not redemptive. You're literally reinforcing the very confines of white supremacy that we're trying to be free from. Think about that for a second. To claim that you are privileged because you are white is not something we should celebrate nor acknowledge, nor embrace. You're not privileged because you're white. You're white. So we destroy white supremacy. You become human. Our goal is humanization and an acknowledgement of that humanity, not a declassification of the various uh, forms of it. We're not asking people to leave their identities to the side. We're asking them to stop forming systems that are designed to disenfranchise people based on them. Those are two different things. White privilege don't do that. It simply says, I'm better because I'm white, so now let me give you some power. 
Now let me give you a little of my privilege so that you can take the step up so you can not have to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. I don't care about that. If we embrace the humanization of all people, the humanization, not the, the humanity of all people, right, privilege don't exist because not everybody's human being. Well, that's, I knew you was going to shake the table, but you just flipped the whole table over. That's what Jesus did. <laughs> I see you. Okay. All right. So, and that's interesting because in the time of what's been going on with, um, with, with what we're dealing with as a people, it has been a lot of white folks saying, I have white privilege. Let me use my privilege. Let me use my privilege. So I'm just curious to know now. Because the word allyship is really like subjective, depending on who you ask, you'll get a different definition of what allyship is. If people, if you think that white privilege doesn't exist, what would you give to a person, or what would you suggest to a person that's trying to be a John Brown, an abolitionist that really genuinely wants to help? Show up. Period. You don't have to have privilege to show up. You don't have to have privilege to have a voice. You use your voice and declare what is right. And what's not right is black people being murdered. That's not right. You don't have to have privilege. You might, you might be in a position where you're not being murdered, but that's not because you're privileged. That's because you're not black. And so if you are not being murdered, I'm not being murdered. But we are. So I am being murdered. They're not being murdered. But they are. Because there are people who are not African-Americans who are being married too. So if you want to recognize the humanity in all people, the first step of humanity is what? Having birth in your body. If you need to have some kind of superiority to speak up against that, that's white supremacy as well. That's a good point. That's a good point. You don't, you don't, you don't need to be superior in order to do what is right. You don't need it. Who convinced us that we did? Goes back to colonialization. They felt like they had to come over to save us. It's the Jesus crises. That's why Jesus as an ancestor is so problematic because it reminds us of a compromise at some point in human history. That some people were willing to become the savior in order to save other people. And that distinction of other became black, became colored, became Negro. Because then it was barbarian. Then it was citizen. It had nothing to do with Jesus. It had everything to do with white supremacy. Okay, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to word these ne this next question. Okay, so there was a question that I did get based on the conversation that I had with someone a little older, much older actually, an elder actually. And it's not. I shake to my elders. Huh? I say, I'll shake to the elders. I shake too. He's awesome. But it's not, this is not to purposely put, um, Young person versus elder, okay? This is just because you know, elders gonna have their perspective, you know. The elder said, Women, black women in particular, 
have been disrespected since the beginning of time. And he, and he said this in a way where he, he could, you could tell he wasn't happy with that. He was like, wow, like this has been happening since the beginning of time. And he said, and you know where it started? It started in religion. I said, what you mean? He said, um, you know, the, the whole Garden of Eden. And Eve being the woman and getting the blame for, <laughs> and I'm not laughing because it's funny, okay? I'm just saying because I see your face. It is that Eve got the bad rap. And honestly, I have heard men bring this up a lot. Oh, well, y'all know women do this, 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 and this. And you see it with Eve. It's the downfall of a good black man is a woman. And I'm just curious to know what your perspective is on that is in terms of, because you mentioned the women being abused in, in scripture. But what do you think about people using that point to kind of justify or, I guess, confirm that on one end, black women have been abused and disrespected for a very long time. And then to the other point of men kind of misusing that scripture to kind of justify the treatment of black women or mistreatment of black women. Well, I respond to the elder with he is exactly right. But the only thing I would suggest or, or push back on is that one, the Bible is not a record of human history. The Garden of Eden was not. And I will say this as a scholar of religion. The Garden of Eden was not a historical reality. It was a story told from a very particular vantage point. And within that particular vantage point, misogyny and patriarchy existed. And of course, if you were to actually take the transcripts of the original text, not the King James, but actually take the transcripts of the original text and, and do your own uh, translation from the Greek, which I've done, by the way, it has nothing to do with man and woman. It has nothing to do with man or woman. As a matter of fact, there are three creation stories within the biblical record that one is not made a distinction between man and woman in the Garden of Eden. In fact, it says humankind. And that's the first creation story. The second one is the one where Eve comes out of the, the rib, which is totally in English, a whole different story than what you find in Greek. But let's go with the English record for, 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 the, for the sake of, of conversation. You got the first one has nothing to do with a rib or a woman coming out to be a helpmate didn't exist first one but then the second one of course you got adam he falls asleep god takes has surgery that's what the english says i was like that's not what to say in in greek but okay i'll let y'all have that one and then the third one has nothing to do with that at all and so one i asked i said well why do we choose the story inherently uh elder why did we choose a story that is the dehumanizing story of the black woman in the first place? That's the first question. Remember, it's all about the question we asked. Two, who is telling this story and why did they tell it? Because it wasn't to write the Bible. That's not why they wrote the story. Let's be honest. And then three, what actually happened in human history to get us to this point? Because the Bible in the biblical record is not historical uh, uh, narrative of what happened in human history. Why are we so invested in the dehumanization of our black women? That we're willing to literally write a divine script that encourages it. Because if the Bible is God's word, then that God in that Bible that has ordained this action to take place needs to die. But if we serve a God who created all of us in thy image, not in his, but in thy 
image, then we got some serious reconciliation to do. That's not the God I serve. Because the God I serve is able to deliver us. Well, um, and again, it wasn't a pit. And I mean, I'm actually going to go a little bit further when it comes to elders. Because I do want to discuss your activism while I got you on the line. That's okay. Oh, it's okay? Okay. So that question, and just for those that are listening, it's not to put elder versus young person. That's not the point. However, I was curious to get perspective because, like I said, elders have they 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 they're scholars in their own right in terms of their course of experience. But we also have somebody on the line that is a scholar of the actual text. Now I am curious though, where because if people want to know, because you know, there's a lot of people I've seen that marriages, uh, marriage receptions and vows and things like that. I've seen it in in movies and every I've seen it everywhere, whether it was fictional or in real life where the story of Adam's rib, you're my rib, you my rib, or I'm his rib, I'm his rib. Like, I know it's metaphorical, you know what I'm saying, or it's allegory, but it's, but I say that's interesting that you brought that up because you're like, first of all, that ain't even the same story in Greek. So I'm just curious to know where can people find the real story? Because this, we talking generations of people thinking that they have ribs or they're of ribs and things like that. And they use that to apply how they interact in relationships and their marriage and things like that. How can people find the truth? For so you can first find what to find the truth um, or the real story it. is what I'm saying. The real story, okay. If you can want to find a real story, I would say start with the Greek. Look at it. Use the interlinear version of the Bible, and you're going to find all these long words in Greek. You got to be able to translate it, know what it means. And in Greek, there are so many translations for one English word. So you might have to make a conscious decision. Well, I'm going to use this word as opposed to this one. And, and that's really what they did in all of those those texts. I mean, the, the composition is a genius, but in many ways they're wrong. But in many ways they're right. And so it becomes objective in a sense because now you're having to make conscious decisions as to which you would choose and why you choose it. And so even my translation could be wrong. But that's the art of humanity to be able to have a diverse opinion about language. Language is at the heart of humanity, I believe. And so when we communicate, we have to have the skills and the tools to be able to understand what it is that we're actually saying. And so semantics does matter. Syntax does matter. How you construct sentences, the emphasis placed on one word versus the other. I mean, the whole scope, it takes time. It takes reading. It takes resource. It takes expertise. I'm not a biblical scholar. I'm a scholar of the divine, but I have to use the biblical record as a tool. And so there are people um, who are biblical uh, uh, scholars, if you will, and there's a difference. Like they literally can eat the text, eat the text up, and and do textual criticisms. And oh, that doesn't sound like this person, so that can't be Moses speaking, or that can't be X, Y, and Z, because they are so familiar with it. And so I lean on the biblical scholars, and there's so many. Like, like I suggested last time, Will Gaffney, Doctor Will Gaffney, is an Old Testament scholar. Her whole research is done on the Old Testament. And so that you, you have to access the, the resources that are available at our fingertips. And now more than ever, you have everything at your fingertips. Okay. All right. All right. 
So I think I want to segue to the last question of the, of the previous conversation before this. We were talking about turn the other cheek and how that's been used incorrectly. For those that are just now coming into this episode, can you paraphrase the point you are making about how it's used incorrectly? Well, turn the other cheek. And um, it's interesting because I'm pulling it up here in Matthew 5. It says, you have heard that it has been said an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you should not resist evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And so for us, we say just turn the other cheek because that's just us being peaceful. But if we actually look at this scripture, I'm not even got to talk about the basis of culture. You look at this scripture, it says, but so whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek or who shall hit you on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. Okay, that means I am coming after your behind. This is a word ethic. It's a phrase, a doctrine that often responds to injury without revenge in our culture. But it's not pacifism. It has nothing to do with nonviolence. And, and, and quite frankly, uh, I laugh at it because it's a perversion of what it means to actually protect our people. It's a perversion. So just so we clear, just repeating it for the record, when we say turn the other cheek in order to be peaceful, that's actually a perversion of the text. You said it was Matthew. Matthew uh, 5, chapter 30, I mean, chapter 5, verse 39. Matthew 5, 39. So I think everybody should look at that and kind of because i know that again with what we're dealing with it's a lot of talk eye for an eye eye for an eye eye for an eye but the context is kind of being oh we can't turn the other cheek and it's like when they say we can't keep turning the other cheek that's not correct it sounds like what you're saying is when somebody says we can't turn the other cheek that's like we can't protect because they're using we cannot intercede on behalf of those who are oppressed wow because think about it, what Jesus, we, I, I keep talking about this, insurrection, that's what Jesus was. And so if Jesus is talking on the Sermon on the Mount, I mean on the Mount, and he says, if they smite you on one team, you turn to the other, he says, you better intercede. Because now you have experienced a, a violation, a literal violation of your humanity. And when somebody violates your humanity, you know what you do? You declare war. You declare war. And so that's a symbolism that we are declaring war on that which has claimed, or at least tried to claim, our humanity. So that text said, get it popping. Get here on the sheet, get it, it popping. I'll be damned. I'll be, a, I'll be buried in my grave and go home to the Lord and be free. Yeah, I see a lot of misinterpretation when it comes to Christianity. A lot of people think, oh, because, you know, when it comes to activism, which is also what you do, I think a lot of people get it twisted because they say, oh, I prefer Mal Malcolm over Martin. And they automatically think that Martin Luther King Jr., because he is a, uh, an open Christian man, they thought that his, his approach was soft. 
But if, if that text right there contradicts that, you know what I mean? Like, it's I, I but don't, don't like those kind of discussions because it's I think it's a I think people kind of take their ideology out of context. Um, but I think I think I think both Martin and Malcolm claim war on the empire, right? But because and neither I I want I don't want to be Malcolm X nor do I want to be Martin Luther King. And to believe that we need to be to be effective is problematic. And again, a, a subscription of white supremacy. You literally pay, you pay a subscription every single month to deposit white supremacy into your head. I agree with that. That's why Bernie King came out talking about y'all stop using my daddy out of context now. Y'all stop talking about him when y'all didn't fool with him. A lot of y'all would not have fooled with Martin Luther King back in the day. So let's not do the fake love. So I was very happy when I seen Bernice King tell people to stop uh, cloud chasing the Capitol in the name of her father. I didn't think that was cool. Um, but I'm glad she is speaking up against that. Now, speaking to your activism, though. Whew, do I want to go there? Let, okay. Let me, just, let me just ask this one thing. You know our community has a lot of work we got to do when it comes to leadership. And I know the way I look at it is everybody should kind of acknowledge their own inner leader and do what they got to do within the, their comfort level to help with the dismantling of white supremacy. That's my take personally. However, there are some people that don't have faith in traditional organizations like NAACP or, um, other, or, or like other organizations because they feel like the people that were in the positions in those organizations previously have failed us. Now, given that you are young and you are very, very different than what the collective is used to, how do you reconcile that, knowing that you inherited a position in an organization that some people may have issued because they felt like the people in previous leadership positions in these organizations may have either sold us out or may have not done what they feel is necessary in order to um, get some kind of change or dismantling of white supremacy? Well, I tell them, like I tell my people, I, I'm not answering for what my predecessors have done, but I've been very clear that we do not compromise with white supremacy. We don't compromise. We don't make reservations in the halls of power that limit our ability to free ourselves and to embrace the humanity in all people. We make space for the voices of those who are both found in the margins and in the center. We don't try to move them or mobilize them to where we are privileged to be. We recognize where they are and we lift them up and we stand with them, we support them, we love them, we cherish them, we honor them, we see them, we hear them. But I will say that it's always interesting to me where people talk about the NAACP and how relevant it is. If we weren't relevant, people wouldn't be calling. We get calls every day about another person, about another incident, another case, every single day. And if we weren't relevant, if we didn't still have the kind of trust in our people's community and in their lives, they wouldn't, they wouldn't reach out. And it's interesting because I oftentimes say that it's two people, it's two names that people call on, specifically black people when they get in trouble. They call on the insurrectionist name of Jesus 
and they call on the NAACP. I can't negotiate that fact. It's just there. And so when we show up, people know why we're there. When I enter into a room, people stock up. White people take watch. And human beings listen. Because when I walk in the door, when we walk in the door, they know that we are there for one reason and one reason only. is to protect and to defend. That's what it means to be a prisoner of hope. That's what it means to be a soldier fighting in the army of the Lord, as we say in Christianity. It means to protect that which cannot be lost, which is our humanity. But I will say that organizations like the NWCP have existed for a long time before me. It's going to probably be a long time after I'm gone. But what I want the historical record to record uh, historical records to say and show is that we didn't give up, that we stayed true, that we moved that needle, that moral arc of the universe that King said was long but advanced toward justice, that we moved that needle just a little bit closer to freedom, that we were able to change the paradigms, that we were able to initiate conversations that began to liberate people, that we were able to free the chains and yokes of bondage. And in the words of the scripture, it says we were able to let the oppressed go free and declare that this is the year of the good Lord's act. I'm grateful for this opportunity. I wouldn't change it for the world. And in closing, it often dawns on me that people think that there are some people who fight social justice to get paid, to get popular, to become famous. I've not collected a single dime from the NWCP. I don't, I don't carry a salary. I do this because I love black people. I love them so much that I'll tell them the truth. And so thank you for this conversation. I'm grateful for the opportunity to come back here on here a second time. I think we got some, some heavy lifting done um, and we got a li little bit more deeper than what we were to able, were able to do last time. And, and I'm excited to see some of those comments. So I'm excited too. And I'm really glad that that is the way you wanted to, um, to end that because I am really excited to see what the future has. I, I mean, I think because I know you as well, and I know the type of character you, the type of character that you had, I know that there's nothing that's going to get done, but progress while you in office and also seeing other state chapter presses get it popping the one in Minnesota. So I'm, I'm really excited to see where we're going to head with this. And like I said, I think it's going to take a lot of us, looking for this savior we have a savior issue we got to deal with as people we're looking for that one we're looking for that one when sometimes all you have to do is look within yourself and figure out how can you help this is going to take a, a collective effort it's not going to be just one i mean there's there's people that we can respect that's doing the thing but it really is going to take individual effort in very different like different arenas and different ways to really assist with the work that what like what you're doing and what other people in your position are doing. So I'm really excited to see where we where we go. It's nowhere to go but up at this point. You feel me? So it's nowhere to go. It's nowhere to go but up. And I'll I'll close by saying this. Uh, it's interesting that every time we talk about Jesus, we talk about a savior, and we're not talking about a, a insurrection. That we've been convinced that we are in need of savior. Right. In need of saving. The creator says, I've given you dominion. I called 
what I created and I saw it and, and declared it good. It was a white man who told us that we were stem sick, that we were fallen, that we were in need of some savior. White supremacy. Right. It's not that we need saving. We just got to dismantle the system that told us that. Bingo. Well, that was a beautiful conversation. I can't wait till part three. If you're not busy saving, helping us dismantle, let me not say saving, dismantling white supremacy. But how can people find you, though, um, in case they want to tap in with you on social media? Tap in, ask questions, you know, prompt. I love writing. I'm finishing up a piece now at imajorwish. No, imajorwish, at imajorwish. Um, or you can, you know, holler at us at the Georgia NAACP, Georgia underscore NAACP, or NAACPGA.org. I'm so down to earth, man. You can reach out to me. If I'm not busy, I'm going to respond. If, if I am busy, I get back to you at some point. That's but, um, very down to earth. So I love y'all black people. Stay true. Stay powerful. Stay beautiful. Stay blessed. We love you too, bro. Talk to you later. Peace. So that was this uh, episode of the Spiritual Homegirl Podcast. Um, I don't have a working title yet. If you're watching this um, video, y'all clearly saw a lot of discussion. Now, the good thing about having someone like Major or Reverend James Woodall, I call him Major. But the good thing about having Major on this type of platform is that it shows that what we may think is typical of Christianity or Christian behavior or other things that we think have labels may not be what we think. And, um, and there's also a lot of things that we have to learn and research about some of the things that we claim to hate. Um, and also that we have to question ourselves in terms of what we believe to be actual, um, actual quote unquote terms that we do on the journey. Like, like in the last episode, praise or worship or, or, what do you believe? What is your value system? What is your belief system? So, um, in the beginning, like I said previously in the episode, I think that, you know, that's my personal opinion is that it's a never ending, always evolving type of role. So I'm really excited to bring this conversation to everybody. And I know some of y'all may agree. Some of you may disagree. That is exactly why I did this because the point is never to agree a hundred percent. As y'all saw an episode, some things I still hold fast to, some things he holds fast to. But at the same time, we understand there's a common respect, there's a common understanding. And, um, and, it, and these types of conversations are meant to question, for us to question. Um, you know what I mean? Like, it's, if we ever have material that we just blindly accept, I think it's problematic. And I think that we should be in a position to question everything, even our loved ones even ourselves, even our belief systems. So with that being said, thank y'all for tapping into the Spiritual Homegirl Podcast. You can find me virtually anywhere you listen to podcasts. Also, um, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Spiritual Homegirl, YouTube, Spiritual Homegirl. Obviously, if you're watching this, it's more than likely on YouTube. And also, sign up for my tribe letter, spiritualhomegirl.com. I come out with them every Monday. If you have not signed up for my Patreon, definitely tap in at patreon.com uh, slash spiritual forward slash spiritual homegirl and definitely uh tap in i got some great material i want to give you guys i have some exclusive uh products and exclusive things that i want and content that i want to share with you all on my patreon definitely tap in the tiers start at only five dollars and it goes up as based on what you need from me if you want to work with me uh coaching 
meditation teaching, the whole nine. I got you, okay? If you need some ways to uh, actually decompress, I actually have a book. Where is it? Do I have my book? Let me see. Do I have it? Yes, I have it. Hold on. Let me show y'all because I'm really excited about this book. I got my crystals on it. Okay. So I have my crystals on top of it. So this is Spirit Food. Spirit Food is my puzzle book that I made. For those who don't know, I like to make books too. I don't really do a good job promoting what I have going on, but we're doing it today. So this is Spirit Food. It has a little under 50 pages. It has, and it's a real book, okay? It has a spine. It has pages, you know? I have word searches, things like that. I also have word scrambles. So you can unscramble words, positive traits. So like, and also have Sudoku too, for those that are like nerdy and like to do like traditional puzzles. That's what I have. So I have that on spiritualhomegirl.shop as well. I'm super excited. I'll be also creating more puzzle books for those that just need to decompress and de-stress and not be on the phone to do it or just those that kind of want a bit of a brain teasing type of um, activity book that actually um, subconsciously uh, uplifts the mind and, um, and your self-esteem. So that's what I'm going for. Um, with all the training that I've been doing, certifications I've been doing, I think that, you know, creating purpose-driven content is absolutely necessary, whether it's digital or whether it's physical. So with that being said, y'all, uh, thank you all so much for listening to the Spiritual Homegirl Podcast. Please share this podcast. Word of mouth goes a long way. Support is my love language. I love to see people share things that um, either resonate with them or they think just wants to be, you know, good conversation starters. So I really appreciate y'all sharing this type of content, and I will continue to create as long as I'm called to do so. So with that being said, I love y'all. Don't remember, trust the journey, trust yourself. And uh, thank y'all for listening. Peace.